Hello and welcome to Folio the Podcast. This is Ingrid Velasquez. In this series, we are going to bring you insight, tips, and helpful advice to help you design better, build more efficiently, and grow your design and build firm. Today we have Capella Cancello, an interior designer turned entrepreneur. She runs the Golden Blueprint, which is a business training course for interior designers. Capella started her interior design career at Michael Smith Inc. in Los Angeles, working on multi-million dollar projects around the world and has even worked on the White House during the Obama presidency. This podcast is brought to you by Folio. Folio is a product specification and data management software for the design and build industry. Our software streamlines the creation of product schedules, purchasing, invoicing, creating documents, and more. If you'd like to know more, please go to folio.com. That's F-O-H-L-I-O.com. Again, that's F-O-H-L-I-O.com. You are in the right place if you can identify with any of these scenarios. Um, if you've ever had friction on a project, just like Ingrid just said, so, um, or even even worse, maybe some outright hostility from, from other pro- professionals. You're in the right place if you've ever felt frustrated by other professionals on the project. You're also in the right place if you want smoother and more efficient relationships with other professionals. So here are some reasons for project friction. Your project may not be going as smoothly as you like because um, the professionals and or clients might have different or unclear expectations. So imagine if the contractor thinks that his contact should be the client. Um, The designer might think that the contractor should run everything through them first, and the client really doesn't know what to expect and maybe feels a little bit confused by it all. Um, So you know, this really isn't a good setup for a project. We probably are not going to expect that this project's going to go smoothly, um, but there are things that we can do to make sure that all, all parties have the same expectations. There may be friction on your project because of communication. Uh, so this could be a lack of communication, or maybe it's just ineffectual or inadequate communication. So when you're performing a job, you have to have professionalism and you have to be an authority. Otherwise, why would anyone hire you to do that job? People are not gonna take you seriously or respect you when you're performing a job, but you're not being professional or if you act unsure of your ability to do that job. Uh, You don't really wanna give anyone a reason to doubt your commitment to the job, nor your ability to do it. So finally, there may be friction on your project because of personality and ego. Now, this is really the hardest to overcome because you cannot control others. Um, And the topic today really does deal with a lot of individuals and many have been doing things one way for a long time or they simply don't know that there is a better way. Uh, Everything we're gonna gonna go over today, it's not gonna work for everybody um, all the time because we can't control others. Um, But part of being a business owner is being able to adapt and do the best for your business and your clients and still have, you know, maintain your business integrity. So as I go through my tips, I want you to think about how you can incorporate them into your business and 
how the like, how are you contributing to unclear expectations? How are you contributing to good or bad communication? Um, if there is any lack of authority or professionalism on your part, um, today we're going to focus on creating good contractor designer relationships, and it's going to take some effort and adjustment on your part. Um, but for now, I just want you to start thinking about the ways that your relationships with other professionals may have tripped you up in the past and if they could have been helped by better communication. So here are some examples. Maybe you expected a quote much sooner than you actually got it. Um, however, you didn't express your expectation of receiving that quote within 24 hours, and the other professional didn't communicate that it would be at least a week before he could get to it. Or maybe you've gotten an angry call from a client that a vendor left muddy footprints all over the house. However, while this may seem like common sense and something that wouldn't need to be communicated, you could have told that vendor of your expectations of cleanliness and respect of the client's property prior to having them on site. Or um, maybe your project communication is a mess and no one knows who's told who, what, and when, and no one is on the same page. Um, maybe each party felt like it was the other's responsibility to keep everybody in the loop. So I could probably go on and on with these examples, but let's get into the four keys to uh, good relationships. So I'm gonna touch on these four today and they're gonna make, they should make a huge difference in your professional relationships. Um, remember, we want to remove those reasons for project friction that I mentioned at the beginning as much as possible. Um, so I'm gonna touch on those four keys now and then I'm gonna go into each a little bit deeper. So the first one is to maintain standards. And by this, I mean that you should have your standards on a project and not let them slip because of an unruly professional. This is kind of like creating some boundaries. Um, the next one is uh, setting expectations. So once you have your standards and your boundaries, you need to be able to communicate those clearly with others working on the project. You also want to then create guidelines. So this is taking the, that setting the expectations a step further and actually making it a more formal system or process by writing down, um, writing down those guidelines. And lastly, you wanna make, make sure that you are executing your guidelines um, and that you're actually adhering to them. So imagine how great it would feel if your business created and maintained great working relationships with professionals that made your projects go smoother. Smoother projects makes for happier clients, more referrals, more money, less headaches, better efficiency, and on and on and on, right? So let's talk about maintaining standards. First, you have to know what those standards are. And this is through your own internal review of your own business and how you would like to work. So I want you to think about how do you like to work with other professionals? Whose job is what? What are your business standards in working with clients so that when you bring other professionals onto the project, they can help maintain that level of service? What will you or won't you put up with? Um, are you being a good example to others? Are you also following your own standards? Are you treating others like you'd like to be treated? So what I want you to watch out for 
is people taking advantage of you or you compromising your business integrity or regularly tying yourself into knots uh, to accommodate another professional without that same courtesy in return. So you shouldn't have to work under those conditions as a business owner and you are largely in charge of that. On the flip side of that, you also have to show respect to other professionals to get respect. So consider that as well. So I believe that the reason that most projects go south is because of unmet expectations. It is better to communicate more than you think is necessary. And one of the best things that you can say to other professionals at the beginning of a project is that you are both working towards a happy client. That's what you won't both want. That's where the money comes from. That's where referrals come from. That's where the good photos for your portfolio come from. Um, and that really should be both of your objectives and should outweigh any issues that arise between professionals. So if that isn't agreed upon from the beginning, and really that goes back to the what I just said about maintaining your standards, um, then it's a red flag. You also want to remember that most people are going to be more inclined to meet your expectations if you explain to them the reasoning behind them. Let's say, for example, you could simply say, uh, I expect there to be no swearing on the job site. But if you take it a little further, it's going to have more impact and explain why. So you could say, I expect there to be no swearing on the job site. This is the client's home. They have children around, not to mention it's a place of work for many people during this project. And we really should maintain a high level of professionalism. So let's talk a little bit about how uh, to set expectations, which really the only way to do that is through consistent clear communication. Because remember, even when you think you're being clear, someone still may hear something differently. They may have expectations um, or beliefs that they're not verbalizing or they don't even realize that they have. So you really want to consider the way that you're communicating. You know, are you throwing a sentence over your shoulder as you're leaving the job site? Do you take notes um, in the meeting and then you send a follow-up email with key points? Are you reinforcing your in-person conversation uh, with emails? Are you asking the right questions? Are you expressing what type of communication that you need or expect in return? So here are some examples of setting expectations. You could say, to meet our deadline, I need the new change order by Friday. Please let me know if you wrote, run into any roadblocks with that as soon as possible. Or, it seems that the client is getting confused and overwhelmed with some of our communications. Do you have time now to talk about how we can make this easier on us as well as them? Or I noticed that it takes several days longer than I would expect to get on-site details from you. What can I do to make sure I get the most up-to-date information within 24 hours? Or hey, I expected to hear from you last night about those color samples. And because I didn't, it really messed up my day and I couldn't meet a deadline I promised the client. What can we do to make sure that it doesn't happen again? So let me tell you a little story. Um, let's say Kim Interiors was hired by the client to remodel a bathroom. She called her tile guy to come give her a quote. The quote was received, good to go. Kim told her clients that it would take three to four days to finish, um, finish the tile. So day one goes well. On day two, Kim gets a call from her clients. The tile guy 
showed up. Um, he did an hour's worth of work and then he left. Day three, the client calls and said the tile guy didn't show at all. Day four, the client calls irate and says that the tile guy finished his work, but told them that it couldn't get wet or walked on for 24 hours. So how are they gonna brush their teeth or take a shower? This sort of situation is a fairly common uh, scenario. So let's look at some ways that this project could have gone smoother. Now, Kim Interiors could have better prepared her clients by communicating with them what to expect. This is also really important, like the communication between the designer, the contractor, and the client um, plays a big role in the relationship between the designer and the contractor. Um, if the contractor or the designer is better managing the client, that makes for a smoother project and e it's easier on everyone. So she could have explained that the tile guy usually works on multiple jobs at once because of dry time. Uh, that he's also accountable to other homeowners who may have er more urgent issues on their jobs. The tile guy could have better prepared Kim interiors and called when he was leaving the job site on day two to explain why. If he knew he wasn't going to be there on day three, he could have told her that then. If he didn't know at that time, then he should have called her the next morning and just let her know that that he wouldn't be there. He could have also told her at the very beginning of the projects that he may be called to other job sites. If there are times that he's not there to not worry, the work will still com be completed on time as promised. So it's always setting up expectations. This is what I'm doing. This is what to expect from me. Kim Interiors could have padded the time, uh, adding a day or two. It's always better to under-promise and over-deliver then overpromise and underdeliver because that's expectations, right? You're, if you're overpromising, that's going to be the expectation. And then if you underdeliver, then that's an unmet expectation, and people are going to um, not like that. So, Kim Interiors could have also let them know that the tile, um, it would be it, when it was done, it would still need some time to cure afterwards. Kim could have also asked her clients if they wanted to pay more to get it done in a shorter time frame. So I find this diagram really helpful um, in reminding clients, which is setting up expectations of the fast, great, cheap rules. Um, and then that middle, that middle portion of getting all three at the same time is, is a unicorn. It's, it's an impossible utopia. And here's an even um, more advanced tip, um, but designers and contracts can, um, contractors can also write this all down as a preparing for your remodel document uh, to give to clients. So that's, again, setting expectations, creating a system, creating processes. So here are some communication tips. You want to avoid blame. You don't want to say you did this or you didn't do this. You also want to avoid pleading or begging. It's not professional and it always puts you in a position of weakness. If you need to, you know, like create your boundaries and say, this is what's going to happen and then stick to that. You also don't want to make excuses. You want to show compassion. People are busy, and if somebody's normally great, you want to give them the benefit of the, of the doubt. Don't fly off the handle for one thing if they're normally wonderful. You want to focus on the solution and not the problem. So in the examples that I gave earlier, they're all about moving forward and what the solution is going to be. It's not 
about rehashing or going into much detail about the problem. And again, it's not about blaming or pleading. <laughs> you want to put everything in writing as much as possible. Just keep good records. You also want to avoid fires. And by this, I mean like the I need it yesterday situations. So things like rush orders, on the spot quotes, problems, immediate delivery updates, um, a big component of this is being respectful of other people's time. Um, and just because you you didn't get to it or you forgot or you ignored it doesn't make it somebody else's um, fire and problem to solve. You also want to um, always show appreciation. So people like to hear uh, that they're appreciated. It also makes them more likely to keep up the good work. And finally, Ask for input. So we all have different opinions, experience, and expertise. Including the other professional in your decisions can go a long way towards uh, goodwill. Once you know what your standards are and you can communicate your expectations um, for the project to others, then you can actually take it a step further and turn those into uh, written guidelines. So this is taking your expectations and creating systems or processes around them. It could be in a simple code of conduct for your employees and other professionals on the project, or it can be a little bit more formal in an agreement or a contract. So the big question, who's in charge? And this is a little bit tricky, but it is something that needs to be established at the outset of the project. So most likely the general contractor is gonna be in charge because of legal reasons. And this is because the, they're the ones that are licensed, and in some states, it's actually illegal to perform the duties of a contractor, including hiring and scheduling subs. So you want to be sure to check with your local government um, and an attorney who knows about this sort of thing in your area. That said, you can choose to work together and have that really fine line that the contractor is responsible uh, for all building decisions, as long as they don't impact the design plan or the finished look of the project. And the designer is responsible for all decisions pertaining to the design or should be consulted when a building decision impacts the design. And again, this is something that should be talked about at the very beginning. It's not going to, you're not going to do anyone any favors by ignoring it until it becomes a problem. As a designer, you know how difficult it is collaborating with other people on a project. Whether you're a smaller interior design firm working with outside contractors or an architect in a global firm working with another team, let's face it, emails just don't work. Try Folio. Our collaborative software allows you to work with contractors, vendors, purchasers, owners, and whoever else you need to work with so you can deliver projects faster. I know what you're thinking. Doesn't that mean they can also see proprietary information? Don't worry. With Folio, you can decide to the very smallest detail what your collaborators can have access to and whether they can edit the data or not. Get your free trial today at folio.com. That's F-O-H-L-I-O.com. Again, that's F-O-H-L-I-O.com. Get your free trial and change the way you collaborate on design and build projects today. A kind of a blanket um, agreement for trades working on a project. 
uh, can be used for small projects or large projects and generally is not gonna, not gonna change. Um, it's just a really simple document that lays out your expectations for working together. Um, both designers and contractors can use this when working with other trades, some contract, subcontractors, or uh, each other. So in my book, the trade agreement differs from the contract in that the contract spells out things like, um, and gets really detailed and specific about insurance details, responsibilities, scope, payment, disputes, damages, etc. So it's very specific to the um, to the project, whereas a trade agreement is could be used for any any project. And you know the contract is is something that you more have more in line with what you would have with a, a client for that project. Um, and then a trade agreement is just kind of a formalized code of conduct that sets up the expectations for working together on the project. I think of the trade agreement as being more empowering to the people working on the project so that they're all on the same page and they have the same understanding of what's expected. Of course, there's nothing standardized about agreements between contractors and designers, even what the documents might be called. So um, some people may call a trade agreement, a contract, you know, vice versa. It's kind of up to you um, what you want to what you want to call it, what you want to do with it, what's included. So you could have just a simple code of conduct, which would read more like a page out of an employee handbook, or you can formalize it with a trade agreement, or you could incorporate it all into one document if you're the one doing the hiring and having to specify, um, you know, those responsibilities and scope that would be in a contract. But if you're not doing the hiring, uh, a trade agreement is a nice a nice bridge. So let's go a little bit into what would be included in a trade agreement or a contract. Um, and this really does depend on if you are hiring the other professional or not. Um, you know, there's some legalities involved in that that uh, you'll you'd have to work out with an attorney. But if you're not doing the hiring, then the client really should be the one to have a contract with either the, that contractor or designer directly. So to give you an idea of the tone of, um, of the trade agreement, I'm gonna read you um, the starting paragraphs before I go into the details of, of what's in each of these. All right, so it says, it is Capella Kinchelow Interior Design, ultimate aim for projects to go smoothly and efficiently. We want clients to be thrilled with the work of every person on the project. Together, we can create amazing results for our clients. To satisfy the customer and to minimize conflict, we need to ensure that we are working towards a common goal with shared expectations and standard goals. For our working relationship to be mutually beneficial and proceed on schedule, with minimal issues, we've created a framework to accomplish as described above. So that's how I start out my trade agreement. So here are the differences between contracts and trade agreements in my book. So a trade agreement probably is not legally enforceable, but when done properly, a contract should be binding. Uh, a trade agreement would say something like um, company and the clients require all trades to keep updated insurance and workman's compensation. Proof of insurance may need to be provided to the designer, client, and or client's own insurance company. And then the contract would likely spell out um, you know, exactly how much that insurance has to be, and it may even require adding another insured to the policy. So in my trade agreement, 
I don't mention how disputes are going to be handled um, because it is about empowering people on the project, but in a contract you, you would have to. And usually this clause would have something about arbitration or where, you know, where you would go to court. In the trade agreement, I also say that we respect the talents and the skills of the trades and that we want creative solutions and input. Um, but this is probably not something I would say in a contract unless I was combining them both into a single document. Something I would mention in both documents, um, if my company was the one who was bringing another project, uh, another professional onto the project, is I would say that I would expect that other person or company to not accept work directly with the client. Another topic that would be included in both documents, um, maybe a little differently though, is um, communication and who the main point of contact is. So uh, who's the main project manager and who's the main client liaison? So my trade agreement has several points on communication. Um, one says, good communication is the bedrock of a smooth project. Trades are encouraged to communicate early and often with uh, company name. We expect trades to be timely in their communications. So that's what my trade agreement says. If this was in a contract, it would probably go into a little bit more detail. I also like to mention in my trade agreement that it's better to under-promise and over-deliver than over-promise and under-deliver. And so this is kind of just like a, a philosophy that I include in my trade agreement, but it probably, I wouldn't mention it in a contract. I also like to go into job site responsibilities um, in both documents. So these are things like smoking, off-color humor and jokes, swearing, appropriate attire on the job site, and job site cleanliness. So there are some more things that you're probably going to include in a contract that you wouldn't, wouldn't go into a trade agreement. Uh, and these things are the detailed scope, who's responsible for permitting, uh, how to access a job site, what's required um, for supervision on site, the exact dates and schedules, and um, if there are any delay of project fines, how expenses and payments are handled, warranties, uh, taxes, intellectual property, project management, change orders, uh, how the contract would be terminated or the working relationship would be terminated. So this is very, you know, a lot of this would be very specific to that particular job. Um, but like any legal document, you do want to consult an attorney for specific advice um, for, on your business and your local government. You can't just create these documents and these standards and then not do anything with them. So that's why I added this execution slide in. Because um, if the other professional starts to slip and work is suffering, then you need to make sure that you have a talk with them early and often, right? Always be communicating as much as possible. So it's important to do this early. Uh, otherwise, it can become a slippery slope and it could be harder to fix down the road. So if you take the time to write these documents and to create these, these written guidelines, the trade agreement or the contract, and you come up with these standards, you also need to execute them. You need to practice what you preach and you need to set a good example for all of the others working on the project. So um, when you notice that they may not be adhering to them, you don't wanna wait, you wanna have a conversation with them immediately. 
It also may be helpful to show your trade agreement to the client so that all parties are on the same page. You likely wouldn't do this with a contract because that contract is probably proprietary, meaning it says like how much you're paying um, and how you're dealing with expenses and stuff. And that's something that you usually wouldn't show a client. Um, but if you showed your trade agreement to the client, then they can be an ally if the other professional maybe isn't complying. So, you know, it would be nice if they helped monitor, you know, let's say the communication situation, if they told either, you know, whether it was the contractor or the designer, like, wait, aren't you supposed to run this by so-and-so first? Um, you also wanna keep in mind, you're never going to be able to fully eliminate issues on a job, but by setting expectations and reinforcing them, then you're definitely going to help minimize them. So as a reminder, always be setting expectations. So here's a recap of those four keys. You want to maintain standards. You want to set expectations. You want to create your guidelines. And you want to always be executing. Being an architect or an interior designer can often feel like it's all about the deadlines and not the design. They also didn't tell you about the days you'd be spending staring at endless spreadsheets looking for that one material you used that one time that you want to use again for your current project. Trifolio. Our centralized material library keeps track of all the items you ever used and has a powerful search function so you can find your tried and trusted products and reuse them in your current project with a simple click. You will cut down drastically on the boring tasks and spend more time on design. Get your free trial today at folio.com. That's F-O-H-L-I-O.com. Again, that's F-O-H-L-I-O.com. Get your free trial and get back to what you really love doing, designing a better world. So before we get into the Q&A, uh, I'm going to leave you with this. A rising tide lifts up all boats. Uh, I believe that if we encourage collaboration and cooperation in the interior design industry, that everyone benefits. Clients, designers, contractors. So as an interior designer, I really want to share with you all of the knowledge that I've learned about running an interior design business and help you design the business that you really dream of. So if you enjoyed this topic today um, and would like to have more confidence and certainty, I do have a seven-week business training course for designers that's opening uh, in April 2019, so a couple months. Um, and this is the business course that designers don't get in interior design school. So we're going to go over all of the aspects of running a successful interior design business. So by the end, you're going to feel super confident about your business. I also have dozens of free articles on my website, capellacanchillo.com, as well as some free courses and other resources to help you design and grow your interior design business. Um, but I also created some special offers just for this webinar. If you wanna go to my website forward slash webinar, uh, you can take a look at what those, what those are. So um, I will, take some questions now. I just ask that all of your questions are specific to the topic today. So does anyone have any questions?
Well, so, thank you, Capella. That was pretty amazing and very thorough. Um, I particularly enjoyed the part about, you know, um, finding yourself bending over um, backwards for people that you work with. And it's because on its face, it kind of feels like it might be a gender specific problem because you know how a lot of female professionals will do that. That's kind of the stereotype is that we are seen as nicer and um, when I was, um, much younger, that infuriated me because, um, you know, I'm sorry, but just because I'm female doesn't mean you can push me around. I think it's really important for women, especially they have kind of the imposter syndrome and to, to be that authority, um, because you are, if you're not, if you're not portraying that and you're downplaying your experience and your expertise, then you're not doing anyone any favors. Correct. So I see somebody raising their hand. Um, I have something from Anne-Marie Brunette. Uh, just wondering if as a designer, uh, you're not running the project, how much communication do you still do with the trades if the client is hiring directly? That's a good question. Like if you're not the one running the show. Uh, that's kind of something you need to talk to your client about and um, you know if they want you to manage not you know like we just oversee the design plan not necessarily manage the trades but oversee the design and that those trades if they want to them to communicate directly with the trades or if you want to direct through the client um, and just let them know like if it's a game of telephone it may not be uh, as great, you know, things could slip through the cracks. So it's, you know, again, it's it's about communicating. It's about asking your clients what they expect, what the trades expect, if they want somebody to kind of be that, that liaison between them and the client, um, because you are kind of a, a translator in a way, you know, the design plan goes through the designer to translate into something a little, could be more technical from the trades to something that's a little bit more uh, consumable from the client. Awesome. Um, something from our very own Fui Bin Yu. Um, do you put the subs on as employees or 1099 them? So I don't do any hiring because in Arizona, I cannot act as a contractor. Um, so that's, again, something that needs to be, you have to look at for your own personal, um, but I don't do them as employees. Trades, if you're hiring trades, they should, they have company, um, unless you're, you have a general contracting company, um, and you are hiring them as employees, but as a designer, you would most always hire them as a contractor, as a, uh, like contractor in the IRS's. Um, right. Terms. Okay, and here we go from Diane Hewitt. Um, my trades are third-party hires. I help the client with the hiring process, but the client does not know what they don't know, so I get caught in the middle. Um, how do you troubleshoot this? I, I mean, sometimes you want to be in the middle to make sure, you know, that they, to go back to the tile example, to make sure that the, the grout's the right width and the right color and the right kind, and you're not going to see gray grout through um, 
you know, marble tiles and, and things, things like that. So you may, um, you know, you could do like a, a project, an extra fee for that or just charge, charge hourly. Um, and again, it could be creating a system so that when they work with the tile guy, that you give them a list of all the things that, that you need to, that they need to know either from, from you or just they need to make those decisions on, um, you know, when I mentioned that you could create that, that what to expect in your remodel document, um, that could be something that, that you could create as well. So that you're not doing every single time for the tile guy and the wallpaper hanger and the curtain person, um, you know, the electrician things. It's, you know, it's, there's no, kind of just have to figure figure it out because there's no hard and fast rules for for any of this from matt abetti uh how do you source good contractors it's what everyone's looking for yeah he just i mean it's a lot of trial and error it's asking for recommendations you can um you know look in the back of local design magazines and see who's doing like the the different builds um, and showing, you know, who's doing the interior design projects. You just, there's, it's all, it's all going to be trial, trial and error. That's how anyone has ever found any, any good, good people. And who, who you work really well with may not be who somebody else works really well with. Um, but so that's why, I mean, I wish I had an easier answer. I wish there was a nice, um, you know, database of the best people at the cheapest prices, <laughs> but that um, trial and error. Uh, from Becky Morgan, uh, I understand the vendor agreement, but I'm a little confused about the contract. Do you provide a contract to the general contractor? Uh, is this in response to an estimate they provide? So the contract is um, if you're doing the hiring uh, or just, you know, like if you, it's entering into a, a binding legal relationship with with another professional or with a client. So the contract when you're if you're an interior designer, then you um, have a contract for um, your work and what your performance is going to be on that project for that client. Um, and that would be the same thing if you were working with a general contractor and you were actually paying them um, and entering into a legal contract with them. If you're not doing the hiring, then a trade agreement is, um, is sufficient. Um, oh, here we go. Um, from Boriana Griffin. Um, something you were just talking about. Uh, I have a background in architecture and many years experience in the design industry. Currently, I focus on interior design, which I really enjoy, but I still find that the male-female dynamic on the job with the trades can be hard to overcome. Um, many men still downplay the intelligence and role that women play in both interior design and architecture. Taking a leadership role on the job can intimidate men, and their response can be, at times, like you said, aggressive. Have you found that trade agreements really help with this. I've found that some contractors try to circumvent the designers, we hear this a lot, and tell the client that he can save them money if he does the design as well. How do you deal with this? 
Um, this could be a whole a whole another hour of conversation on that. Um, okay, so I think again, it's about women being the authority um, and not taking any crap. Um, really, is is one way of doing it. It's also if the you know the client brought you on, then they see some value in you. Um, and you can't if a contractor saying that they can they can do the design you know at the same time you could say well sure like i could probably do the the contracting too but i'm not and you know like but really not really right um and that you want to you know then you could say to the client well if if they're gonna save you money and do a better design, like have you seen examples of all of this design that, that they've done? Um, you know, is this their, you, you don't ever, I mean, you don't also wanna be in that position of justifying yourself. So you need to be able to um, express, express your value and kind of talk about what you bring to the project that contractors contractor is just simply not gonna, not gonna know and understand. Um, and let's see, did I, what else? There was, that was a, that was a packed question. And so, um, I think it's all, it's about being, being an authority. Um, it's about really being confident. That's a huge, huge part. Like, um, you know, the, the contractors are going to just do the design that they know. Um, and it's not going to be probably very customized or specific to, to the client um, and they just want to get it done as much as quickly as possible a possible without interference from from somebody else but um, it just really depends on how much the client sees sees your value and how good you're you're expressing your value and your confidence and your ability to do the job very good answer and like you said this is a super duper packed question it's there's a lot more to discuss on the subject, but huh. okay. So we do have time for one last question. This is from Wendy Blount. Um, I have experienced contract vendors promising a lead time taking deposits and then extending the lead time substantially. It threw my last design job into chaos. Um, any thoughts or tips on how to prevent that from happening in the future? Um, I mean, you wouldn't work with that person again. It's, it's, again, it's, it's hard, it's hard to say, um, you know, you're taking somebody at, at face value. If this is just, um, you know, there's also the delay of getting into the more contract stuff. You could have the delay of project fines. Um, if it's more, you know, from, from contractors, if it's furniture stuff, then maybe, you know, you just, don't you don't work with them again you've done it once like they had their they had their chance and i mean that's really all you can do that's about maintaining your standards and knowing like this is my boundary um i'm not gonna i'm not gonna do that anymore and you can also like talk to them and and, and say like what you know why did this happen and if you feel like they're giving you an honest answer and there was you know some um you know big 
natural disaster that caused whatever, you know, in, you know, halfway around the world and, and you, you know, can verify that there's, there's always, you know, that if you, it's about having conversations with people and really trying to figure out if they're being honest and helpful or if they're giving you um, the runaround and then you just don't work with them anymore. Yeah, I wish I could get rid of the trial and error part of it, you know, like <laughs> you lose so much time and money on that and it's so discouraging, especially when you're new, so. But yeah, yeah, and it's, you know, references, this, the trade agreement, um, it, I put it, it is one of those, those special things I put on my website, you can get it, my trade agreement for 10% off until Friday um, at capellacanchalo.com forward slash webinar. Um, if you want to take a look at what that, that says, um, and, you know, it's setting exam, uh, um, expectations at the beginning and saying, this is what I expect. And if you don't, you know, if this doesn't happen, then we're going to have, we're going to have an issue and then I'm never going to use you again if it, if it doesn't pan out well. Awesome. All right. All right. Um, so that wraps it up for today. Thank you so much, Capella. Thanks and everybody. for everybody Thank who came. Yeah. Very educational. Thank you. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. This podcast is brought to you by Folio. Folio is a product specification and data management software for the design and build industry. Our software streamlines the creation of product schedules, purchasing, invoicing, creating documents, and more. If you'd like to know more, please go to folio.com. That's F-O-H-L-I-O dot com. Again, that's F-O-H-L-I-O dot com.